here from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. You are listening to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Candace Ellen here. She's from Kentucky and she lives in that area. She is a midwife and has been for 20 some years. She is also the owner of a movement and pull studio. And she is just a wealth of knowledge, also a mom of two adult children. I'm so excited for you guys to get to know her. Here's my interview with Candace. Hi. Candace and I, uh, we we don't know each other yet, but I saw her on the Arrow Mamas Facebook group and I was like, Man, I don't know a midwife in my life, and I really feel like it is... Um, Hi, it's kind of a practice that's really important to this topic of the expecting aerialist, and I, I don't have one in my life, so I was like, hey, Candace, will you come join us and, <laughs> and lend us some of your knowledge? She's also a studio owner, does pole, does aerial yoga, she's a mama, and so she just checks all the boxes. <laughs> of what this podcast is all about. So um, let's let's start with you as a mom. Do you have any like postpartum or prenatal or birth stories? You've got two, you've got two kids. Are they, um, what ages are they right now? <laughs> they are 27 and 24. Oh my goodness. You're going to go in the way back machine. You got to go in the way back machine. Um, well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, if you want personal stories, but I wasn't doing aerial at that time. I didn't find aerial or pole until I was 39. Oh, wow. This is so cool <laughs> that you found it later in life. I got so many more issues than you even know. <laughs> oh, I want to know. I want to know all of it. Um, yeah. Do you have any do you have any stories that stick in your head about giving birth and being pregnant and all that? My personal stories um are that um I had um a hospital birth with my first child, my daughter, and um it wasn't quite the supportive experience that I was looking for. And so with my second birth, I mean, I had a, I had a fairly natural birth and any thing that wasn't considered natural was imposed upon me while I said no. So oh, that, man. if that gives you an idea, like there was nothing going wrong at any point that wasn't caused by, um, you know, uh, what we call iatrogenic sources, which is, you know, imposed by your healthcare provider or your environment. Um, so I, you know, that particular experience, which I didn't expect, um, I should have seen it coming, but I was young, um, Mm. led me to look into options, uh, for my second birth and actually put me on the path of becoming a certified doula. Mm. So during my second pregnancy, I was, um, going through my certification process. Um, so during that process, I found a midwife because of where I live, we didn't have any options as far as birth centers go, uh, whether they're, um, attached to a hospital or freestanding. And I didn't really know anything else. So I started doing a lot of research and found that home birth was my only option outside of a hospital environment. Like I had already experienced. So I found a midwife. There was one midwife in my entire region that was attending home births. (laughs) I'm in. Where is it that you are 
living. <laughs> so I'm in central Kentucky. Um, I was born okay. and raised in Lexington and I, and I, and my businesses, both of my businesses are, uh, centralized, uh, to Lexington or, um, my home base is Lexington. Anyway, I live outside okay. of Lexington now, but, um, yeah, so then I did have a home birth and I was, um, going through my donor certification, my doula certification. And, um, my midwife said, why don't you attend some births with me so that you can get some support experience. That was in 1997 and 1998, back when doulas really weren't known. Wow. There was one doula in my town <laughs> in Lexington, Wow. which now there are a gazillion throw a rock, hit a, hit a doula, as I say. <laughs> throw it's, a rock and hit a doula. That's going to be my quote for you. Well, on the West Coast, it's throw a rock, hit a midwife, right? At least oh, in actually, I don't, I don't even know this. It's not my world. In some bigger towns like Seattle, like some of the larger cities on the West Coast um, have a lot of midwives because they have had more progressive laws on the books as far as licensing oh, for I see. many years. Yeah. So it's easier or it has been historically easier to practice midwifery um, in some areas than it was here. Uh, here, it was not like we, we did not have licenses till last year. We got licensing uh, passed through legislation in 2019 and finally in 2020 during during the pandemic had it passed and and signed by the governor here so i've had a license since last august uh, so almost a year <laughs> so does that mean you didn't have license to practice legally right i was I, it was a misdemeanor in kentucky to practice uh, midwifery without a license um it was something that was overseen by the cabinet for health services and they just stopped issuing permits in 1975 so they just didn't see a need for it. And so can, midwives continued to practice and um, families continued to choose out of hospital birth, but we just did not have the supportive network to um, help our families always in a transfer situation or in a, a situation where a client needed to refer and consult, um, be referred and consult before we could move forward with a, a safe, low-risk home birth. Uh, so, oh my God, I have to say before you even move on, I'm so, I'm so happy to have you and whatever you tell me, it's not what I'm looking for. And I just want to know your story and your perspective because so many of my own friends, you know, we're not, uh, geographically diverse, you know, like uh, so many people from LA, so many people from New York and Las Vegas. I'm from Ohio originally, but I haven't lived there for over 20 years. Gotcha. So I'm just really happy to have another perspective because it's all about, you know, bringing information to people all over the world from all over the world. Cool. Cool. <laughs> it's not about, uh, yeah, I love it. I did not know that. I didn't know that there are lots of midwives, you know, out here, probably in LA, there's probably so many. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There are. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I just didn't know I found you because I think April Moore Skelton yeah. had yeah. created this post and she said, Hey, tell us what you do. And I actually right. saw that she did that. I was like, Oh, you're so smart, April. <laughs> and I'll, <laughs> I'll tag her because she's now my like podcast friend. It does. It does surprise me. There are not more birth workers in the aerial world, but whenever I find one, I'm like, I see you sister friend, you know, <laughs> cause yeah, it, it, yeah. It, is, 
it is something that is so really interesting in how much it overlaps for me personally um, to have been a midwife for over 20 years and now to be a, a pole dance coach essentially. Um, there's so much that overlaps in, in those two things. It's, it's really about empowerment and attunement to the body and confidence, um, in, in ability. And so, uh, anyway, they, people are kind of surprised when they find out one or the other that I'm, you know, in my midwifery world, they find out I'm, uh, I own a pole dance studio or essential movement studio is really what I would say it is. And then in my pole dance world or aerial world, they're very surprised to find out that I've been a midwife for over 20 years. And, um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you have no idea how, how closely these two things are in, in, in skill wise, as far as I, all I'm doing is pulling out my midwifery skills on a daily basis with my, with my pole dance and aerial students. You know, I know how to cheerlead. I know how to see someone's strengths when they can't see their own. Um, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really does make sense when it comes from uh, this, the perspective of like, you have to understand what your body can potentially do the potential we have in ourselves and, and yeah. just helping people recognize that and tap into it. I think it's amazing. And I also think to myself, I was raised in Ohio, so you live out in Kentucky and I'm assuming that if the pole world is still not completely accepted here in LA, I'm sure it's even less accepted. Yeah. It's out not, there. It, it's not some, like, I would say I was closeted for many years and had like a separate, separate social media for my pole dance life. Sure. <laughs> um, that makes sense. And, and at that time I was a full-time midwife. It was, um, definitely what paid all my bills. And so it was important to me to protect it as most, I would say a large majority of my clients are conservative. Um, in my training back in the late nineties, early two thousands, um, I would say probably at least 50% of my deliveries were in plain communities. That's uh, Amish and Mennonite and, and adjacent types of religions. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense that they would that they would choose to have a midwife versus go to a hospital. You know, it's, it's, it's for reasons just like us. We're, we're considered English in that world for just the same reasons that English people might choose a home birth, but also for financial reasons, it, it, it is tends to be the more natural and affordable choice, but also in the long run for many families, it's the healthier choice. You know, they, they are able to avoid, um, some of the morbidities that come with the, the complications that they might have in an unnecessary hospital surgery or something like that. Yeah. So I was closeted for many years and have kept that from my midwifery world for the most part. Um, and in the last few years, um, the opportunity or the necessity, depending on how you want to look at it, arose that um, we were in need of a central movement studio in Lexington and there was no nowhere else to uh, pole dance or at least pole dance in a sensual movement uh, manner mm -hmm. um, that was acceptable. Like I, I was at a fitness studio that closed their pole program, but it wasn't, the, you know, anyone that was wearing heels or dancing sensually was kind of looked down upon. Mm. Um, and so I decided, you know, if, 
it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you find that you don't belong in a space and then you have to go create a new one. And so, um, I took my midwear free life savings and opened a pull studio on the side. <laughs> mm. <laughs> if you, if you own a studio, you know what I mean by like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's more than a full-time job in and of itself. Right. So basically, um, since I opened the studio in the summer fall of 2019, which was right before the, you know, COVID lockdown. Oh my God, that timing. <laughs> yeah. That timing. Wow. Wow. We, sur- we survived and we're thriving and it's amazing. I mean, I didn't expect that. I really thought it was probably going to shut me down, but like, um, I opened the studio and was still attending births regularly as a full-time job. And so that was a very difficult balance that I didn't see as a sustainable way to go forward. I just, I thought it would take a few years. I was kind of told by other studio owners, Oh, you won't be able to make a living. This is not how you pay your bills. Um, this, that, and the other. And so I thought, well, as long as I'm doing midwifery, I'll be able to afford to keep my studio open. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what I realized was if I'm a smart business owner, I can thrive in a studio, in owning a studio. And and I have, and I can semi-retire or retire from midwifery. And so that is what I've chosen to do this year is I'm semi-retired. I I pick and choose selectively the, the clients that I will attend. Um, and I'm not on call all the time. Now I take months off at a time to kind of address the needs of the studio because that's its own baby, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I've been on call consistently for, you know, over two decades and it's, and it's a drain and COVID was, was quite a drain. (laughs) Um, it burned a lot of birth workers out because there were a lot more people seeking out services, um, who didn't understand the midwifery model, um, and weren't really looking for the midwifery model. (laughs) And so it really, you know, I took a few extra bursts that year. Because they just didn't want to, they wanted to to have their baby and have their partner with them. Is that part of it or a lot of it? They wanted to avoid a hospital or an institutional uh, uh, setting. They didn't want to have to worry about being tested for COVID in labor. They didn't want to have to worry about being masked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the po- political side of that. That's just the population mm-hmm. that we have, we have here. We have a very conservative yep. um, co- population here and they wanted whoever they wanted at their births. So, you know, they did have to deal with me being masked, but I don't require, I didn't require that they, you know, kept, uh, their birth support people to a minimum. I allowed doulas or, you know, I didn't fight have them having doulas like some care providers were. Um, so I think some people just saw it as their best alternative that they had never considered. And, and a few people actually had great experiences that would have never otherwise chosen a home birth, but a lot of people just, it really wasn't their thing. <laughs> and so those people, I typically, they either referred themselves out or I referred them out but it was exhausting. <laughs> well, I can imagine, I can imagine because, you know, if you're coming for this type of service, usually you know what you want. Yeah. These are, these are people that weren't educated on home birth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it was see, it was kind of like a fad trend, like tr- TikTok. It's like, how can I find a midwife, you know? And it, it, it it was, it was a desperation and a lack of understanding and a lack of research. Like you know, you can Google a whole lot of things and most people did not choose to use their fingers for that. They just dialed a midwife and asked the same 
questions that weren't necessarily pertinent. Like, oh, that is really yeah. exhausting. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, they assumed I took insurance and they assumed there was pain relief offered at home. And they assumed, you know, they assumed, made a lot of assumptions that this was just a cheaper form of a hospital birth when actually it's a whole different mindset and, pre- and preparation. Like I, I really wasn't interested in educating people further than what I normally help my clients come, you know, of course, preparing, I can imagine out of hospital is a whole different track and preparing for the possibility of a hospital transfer is an additional piece of that. Having your home ready, having a great relationship with your care provider, your midwife, um, having a solid birth team where everyone's on the same page is invaluable. And you can't do that in a week. (laughs) Some people are like coming to me at 38 weeks, like, can you get me in? And I'm like, "Mm." and do (laughs) Okay. You know what? I know nothing about this process. Can you start at the beginning? Can you explain what this mindset is? Can you explain what the process is in an ideal setting where you, you dot all the I's and cross all the T's? And then if you can explain the difference between midwife and doula, because I... I'm, I I don't know this stuff. I'm so interested right now. Okay. So a doula is a support person. Hopefully they've had some training and they might even have a mentor. Um, I prefer when they're certified just because I know they're meeting a low bar, but it really isn't the end all be all of a doula's, uh, education and knowledge and experience. So a doula would be someone who provides resources, um, particular information to their clients so their clients can make informed decisions and they can they will um accompany their client um in early labor typically um and especially active labor and through the early postpartum so they're giving physical support maybe hands-on comfort it might just be holding a space in the room for them i've worked with all kinds of doulas and um you know they're all different um but the more experienced doulas that know how to know when to touch and know when not to touch are like the most invaluable types of doulas to have. So they will uh, stay throughout the birth, kind of do whatever their client needs for them, like whatever gap maybe is a better way of saying um, that uh, sometimes their partner needs a lot of help. Um, sometimes they take the load off for the partner to have a break. Um, typically, mm-hmm. they're staying through the postpartum to help with early breastfeeding, although not all not all doulas do that. I've worked with doulas who are out of the door as soon as the baby comes out. Um, and I've worked with doulas who stay through the time that I'm there to give every bit of support. They may even go into the kitchen and cook a meal. Um, they're just the the spectrum is large there, but it is not clinical support. And any doula offering clinical services, hands-on diagnosing, evaluating, and assessing is outside Mm. of her scope. Okay. Then a midwife is the person who provides the clinical care. And so prenatal care, referring and consulting, labor and birth care, being with the client, uh, active labor second stage pushing uh, through the third stage, immediate postpartum care for the mom and the, and the newborn baby or babies, a newborn exam. So I'm also an IBCLC, which is a, a lactation is a lactation consultant. Don't, don't confuse that with a lactation counselor. That's 
that's a 45 hour program. And I used to be a lactation counselor on my way to becoming a lactation consultant. Oh, I see. Other things I didn't know. To be more basic about it, you're basically taking the position of what an OB would be, except you've got a different mindset around it and it's not in a hospital setting? Well, an obstetrician is a specialty service. They are specialized doctors who perform surgery. Okay. So an obstetrician, their specialty is surgery. Okay. C-sections. Not natural birth. Ah. So they may, they may also do assisted vaginal births with, you know, a vacuum or, or forceps or whatever, but that their place is in the clinical specialty of surgery around obstetrics and maternity and not in natural birth. They're not typically trained to sit in the corner on their hands and, you know, wait for the natural process to unfold. They're there to address the pathology if it does present. Midwives are the experts in natural birth and natural low-risk pregnancy care and labor and postpartum care. Whenever we need to, we might refer to or consult with an OB. And I do have relationships with OBs that are very valuable to me. There are wonderful OBs out there. But in the United States, our, our system is very much backwards from most of the rest of the world. In most of the rest of the world, OBs answer to midwives. Uh, I see. And this is why there's that little bit of a push and pull with the American healthcare system and going into a doctor, because really their training isn't to give you that natural birth. And that's right, why right. now you have to go in with the birth plan so that it's not like the go-to. It's not what they're used to. Right. Our, our healthcare system in the United States is fairly backwards in that way. We don't have, we don't place a priority on holistic care. We place the priority on pathological care. Mm-hmm. And can you, can you tell me like what, and you've been doing this for so long. So basically you're you're guiding these women through through birth so you're you're catching babies you're doing all the things can you tell us what this is like like what is this experience like is it hmm. is it like new life happening for you every couple of days and it's um, just <laughs> that's compl- that's complicated but I'll try to explain um, yeah so I became a midwife in the late 90s and the early 2000s like I'd said before and back then there weren't a lot of options for training um, so I did um, apprentice or intern with local midwives who were attending home births and then I completed most of my training in a birth center in a, that is no longer open in El Paso uh, Casa de Nascimento. And so between my years of apprenticeships with multiple midwives and my birth center experience, I was able to meet the um, requirements for the entry-level credential from NARM, which is the North American Registry of Midwives, the Certified Professional Midwife. And so I became a CPM. Back then, it was very much a different environment, um, a different way of thinking amongst people. Um, I, I would say the clients that come to me now are very different than the clients that came to me in the two thousands. Most people back then, you know, we, the internet was still on the new side. Um, most people were 
reading magazines and books from the library still instead of finding this information online. And so people who found me already knew what they wanted. They were never calling and going, what is home birth? Mm. Tell me about that. What do you do? Like they already knew they had already read multiple books. They had already decided very, very specifically why they didn't want a home birth, why they didn't want a hospital birth, why they wanted to plan a home birth, whatever, you know, whatever their reasoning was, it was more solidified. Okay. Um, you know, you didn't hear of celebrities very often home birthing. Mm. Um, you didn't, this was before, um, Ricky Lake, and her uh, documentary. Oh my! Oh my goodness, Ricky Lake! I haven't heard that name in, in a long time. I mean, she she did a lot to push the home birth movement forward. Really? Oh yes. Okay. And I still get people that tell me they saw that documentary, and that's one reason they had always thought they might want a home birth someday. Um, wow! You know, I mean, it was available on Netflix and everything. Like. It's kind of a big deal <laughs> uh, for, yeah. for, for, for us, you know, but like nowadays people can easily pull out their smartphone, do a search, find a midwife in their area and then call them up and, and want, you know, an hour worth of questions answered for free. So ah, okay. <laughs> it's a totally okay. different like vibe now, in my opinion, I've, I've practiced long enough to have seen a very big change in, in multiple layers of practice. So I would say back when I was early practicing and when I was a student myself, um, there was a need for birth workers. And I became a, a midwife, not because I wanted to all of my life and dreamed about it. Um, I was drawn to birth and babies and didn't realize that other people weren't always. Mm. But um, it wasn't like uh, unicorns and rainbows and all of that. It was like, there's a need and um, the universe is directing me in this path. It kind of plopped me and pushed me forward. It, it all just kind of happened and, and fell into place. And um, I had at the time uh, a four-year-old and a nine-month-old wow. that when I started training, when I started apprenticing, which was not my plan. My plan was not to work at all. I definitely would say that along the way, having trained students and worked with other midwife students and a lot of midwives now, um, that there definitely is, you know, kind of some dreamy rose colored glasses image of what it must like be like to be a midwife. <laughs> um, and unfortunately for you, you're going to get the jaded version because I've practiced too long, but <laughs> It's okay. I, I'll take both. I'll take either one. I'll, I'll give you the initial feeling and how I still feel. What I still believe is um, that uh, being a midwife is one of the most magical careers that you can do. And being in the room in such an intimate moment and receiving with the parents this new little soul is amazing and nothing can touch it. And if you've never been in the room when a baby's been born, you, you just don't know. There aren't very many things like it. I, I feel. And so that definitely is one reason why I believe in magic and otherworldly experiences, because mm. it is not a mundane thing. Let me just say it is not a mundane thing. However, there are a lot of really 
stressful things that come along with being a midwife. There's a lot of responsibility. There's continuing education. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of um, political issues. Uh, There's burnout, which is a real thing for healthcare providers. And that's only becoming, I guess, known in the last few years. Um, I think it's compassion burnout or whatever they call it now, but um, Mm. you know, it's, it's been something for midwives for a long, long time. You know, we just don't have the support systems um, to be sustainable. I can't afford health health insurance on, <laughs> you know, so here I am providing care for people, but I can't seek care myself. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of low income families. We, we can't take Medicare in this state, even with licensure. And so we have a lot of low income families that can't afford to use a licensed midwife. They have to go to a certified nurse midwife and some do attend home births. And so sometimes they can get their home birth, but there is, um, a, an issue with access to care. Okay. More, more so privileged people or people who pay in cash for their healthcare anyway, are the ones seeking home birth. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of political issues. Like I said, there are a lot of, um, lateral political issues amongst midwives and amongst groups of midwives. So that's, that's stressful. Um, the birth community is not always a really wonderful and supportive place. That makes sense, actually. I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> it's very, sure. it's very complicated. So while I love attending births and supporting families in welcoming their new babies and helping them in their transition to parenthood, it's all of the rest of it. That's really hard dealing with insurance reimbursement, dealing with stats, dealing with this, that, and the other expectation on top of, you know, I have a lot of people that contact me and they expect, like I have a full office and an assistant and a receptionist and someone that does my billing for me. And I'm like, no, it's all me. Mm. I'm the one receiving and responding to your emails, your texts and your phone calls. I'm the one that's on call. I'm the one that's doing all those home visits. You know, I'm I'm the one 24 seven on call and attending births, you know? And so what, I didn't call you back within 24 hours. So you hired someone else. Maybe I was up at a birth all night and needed to sleep today. Like just the lack of boundaries that a lot of, Oh, okay. I can imagine. Yeah. Because they can, you know, my clients do have access to me in a way that they don't have access to most hospital care care providers, you know? And so some people don't have great boundaries around that. And so I would say a lack of boundaries in birthing people can be a burnout issue for midwives who have a, who have trouble holding boundaries for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and having to turn, having to turn a repeat away because I have a vacation scheduled, you know, for how many years that I just, canceled or put off my vacation because a repeat came up pregnant, you know, like <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, now, I have no idea. Wow. <laughs> so I have now, you know, I sacrificed a lot and I know that it's not, um, it's not PC for midwives to admit how hard being a midwife is. <laughs> it really, it really isn't. <laughs> I feel like it should be. I feel like, uh, It's just an education for the people who don't understand that. And you know what this reminds me of, not that it is the same thing, but it reminds me of me talking about what it is to be a dancer and a mover and an aerialist and then how I feel about the entertainment industry. 
And then how I feel about, you know, um, being a teacher, you know, it's like you love the, the art form or the practice itself, but then it can get really comp. There's a lot of BS being, (laughs) you know, the entertainment industry is, is, uh, sounds like, yeah, (laughs) it sounds very similar, honestly. Yeah. I mean, we've got international organizations, we've got, uh, national organizations um all of those organizations tend to disagree with each other about this that and the other and whatever certification or licensing regulations are there's there's a lot more infighting than there should be there's a lot more tearing down others of your same profession than there should be but there are also in some places a lack of uh training standards you know in my state for a very long time someone could go to tend births and then put out a shingle and say they were a midwife and then lie to people about their experience i'm not kidding i've seen it wow um so anyway like there's a there's there's a lot (laughs) you you wanted stories (laughs) 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 how does one navigate this if you're coming from the other direction and you're trying to find a great midwife in your area like how do we How do we navigate that? Fortunately, more and more states are um, licensing their midwives. And I don't consider that state sanctioned. And I don't um, approve of that language. Um, There are people that don't believe in regulation. And they believe that anyone that does seek or promote regulation is a sellout and that they're working for the state, which is nothing could be further than the, from the truth. You know in, what? In my this case. is so interesting because <laughs> I live in a bubble of blue in LA. Yeah, you do. And I'm, yeah. And I am like, wow. <laughs> I have, when people from, when people from California, much less LA come here, I'm like, so you shell shocked yet? <laughs> how, how you doing? Are you okay in there? <laughs> Cause it's, <laughs> yeah. it's gotta be unreal to you're, it's a different planet it's a different country in some places, you know, to come from a very populated, you know, mostly blue type of place to a very much rural conservative place where, and it's not just, you know, conservative people that don't believe in regulation. There are plenty of what I would consider more liberal people or sure on both sides of the spectrum. Exactly. Midwifery hits the whole spectrum. Um, I know all kinds of midwives. Yeah. I know all kinds (laughs) of midwives. (laughs) Yeah. So I think for clients seeking out a competent and experienced care provider, you have to be diligent. You have to talk a lot to a lot of people. You can't just take one word person's word for anything. Um, in the birth community, unfortunately, um, there are some care providers that will talk badly about other care providers and because they are competitive and want the work. So, you know, the, the best way to be higher than people is to cut other people off at the knees, right? You have to be careful about who you listen to. You need to find someone who's attuned with your, you know, that you vibe with, you know, but also you Mm -hmm. want to make sure that they have met a minimum for their practice. And so some people aren't looking for an experienced midwife. They just want someone to be with them in birth. And we might call that person a birth keeper. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are, they are performing a lot of midwifery tasks 
Um, and then we have very experienced midwives. We have certified nurse midwives. Uh, you know, there are all kinds of midwives to start with, but looking to see what you vibe with most, figuring out what you want in your birth, who you would feel the most comfortable with, finding that person or persons who fit that criteria, and then figuring out from those people who you jive with or who you vibe with or whatever you want to say. I would say, go with your gut. Don't just go with your friend had a baby with so-and-so, so you have to have a baby with so-and-so. Um, you know what I mean? Like there are a lot of different midwives. (laughs) So there are a lot of, there are conservative midwives. There are liberal midwives. There are midwives that are very hands-off and there are midwives that are very, very, very hands-on. Okay. Talking with people, um, about what care I provide during a consultation, I'm actually trying to weed them out. Like I'm not wanting to be hired by every person because I'm not a midwife for every person. Right. I'm a midwife for certain people who are looking for specific things. And if they like me, great. We might vibe and and have a wonderful experience. I do want to make sure we're a good match because it's important to me that we don't have issues down the line because that undermines the whole experience for both of us, the communication, the care, all of it. Um, and it can make a big difference in the birth outcome, in my opinion. So that really resonates with me actually, because even in my bodywork practice, I feel the same way. Like if, if you don't know, I've had people come in, I mean, this is not the same thing, but they're like, they're upset because they're like, why would I want to just be in pain for an hour? Some people want that. (laughs) Some people want that. My practice is called the house of pain, by the way. <laughs> That's my bodywork practice. I'm just, I'm just like, well, do you not know what to expect? Like, this is not for the faint of heart. I'm trying to like do corrective oh, massage amazing. on you guys. So right. it's, I, it resonates with me because it's like, oh yeah, you do have to find the right match regardless if it's a teacher, if it's a body worker, obviously if it's a midwife, it's a doctor, yeah. you know? I mean, some yeah. people want, some people want a midwife who's going to call who's going to, who's come to, who's going to appear at their house at the drop of a hat as soon as they call with their second contraction and provide their labor support and, you know, make them a soup on the stove and, you know, burn some essential oils and wave a magic wand and whatever, you know, like they have some image of what they want their midwife to be. Um, And all of us are different. I mean, you certainly probably can find someone who would do that. Um, I'm not that I'm not the one, (laughs) um, you know, I consider myself more. (laughs) Right. And that's great that you know that. I mean, you've been doing it so long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a doula, so I know the difference. You know, I know my place is as a clinical midwife because I can only wear one hat at a time and be an effective care provider for someone. Mm. If they want me to also be their doula, it is going to take away from my midwifery care. I am, I'm not the one that needs to be all things to all people. So I want them to have good childbirth education. I want them to have maybe a good concurrent care provider relationship with an OB or a CNM. I want them to have maybe a great support system, and that might include the right doula. I might not even be the right IBCLC for them. They may need to hire out and have someone specifically designated as their IBCLC. And that way, I only have to wear the hat of a midwife going to best serve them that way. Although I can help them in those other ways or give them resources, I can't take Mm. on those jobs fully and do them all well. 
I just can't. I know myself. I'm not equipped to do that. I am a very hands-off midwife. My whole goal is to have an incredible prenatal relationship and get them to a point where we know that they're low risk. We communicate well. We feel comfortable and reassured going into labor and that I'm fairly hands-off. Some of my clients do their own vaginal exams. Mm. Um, Some of my clients or many of them uh, catch their own babies uh, with my guidance, or sometimes I'm standing against a wall with their camera in my hand. I might have gloves on and I might drop the camera real quick if I need to come in and help them, <laughs> but I'm just not the one that needs to catch the baby either. Like I love catching babies. It's really fun. Like that is a really cool piece of being a midwife, but it is not what it's about. And students do think that coming in sometimes that it's all about I got to touch the baby on its way out. And it's like, that is been midwifery is so much more than catching a baby. Promise, promise, promise. You mentioned, um, what that process is, you know, prepping the house in case you need to bring, in case they need to go into surgery, in case they need to go to a hospital. Can you talk about that? Cause that is, that is a transition that I've never heard about. I mean, I've heard about, it. I haven't heard the sure. how about it. Okay. So I personally, in my practice, do all home visits. I don't have an office anymore. I just don't see enough clients to maintain an office for them. So I do travel all over central Kentucky seeing uh, clients in their homes. So basically just getting to know them in their home during their prenatal visit is one thing, but then I do come for a special visit when they go on call. So clients go on call anywhere from 36 to 37 weeks, depending on the client and their circumstances, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes a little later. So basically by that time, they have a supply list that they needed to have gathered and obtained. So they have a custom birth kit that I've put together that they buy. And then they gather things also in their home. And then we walk through their home all the way from the front door through every room. Um, So I'm aware of the dynamics of the family. um, How many children are there? Are there free beds where they see themselves nesting, where they're going to have their birth supplies? Where are all the toilets? Where's the trash cans? Where is their extra food? Mm -hmm. Where's it? Do they have a microwave? Do they not? You know, all of those things help me not have to worry about those things in the moment. Like, oh my gosh, I need to find more towels. Well, they have a stack there sitting. (laughs) Um, So when I come for that 36 or 37 week visit and we've done their walkthrough, um, I go over the supplies that they have ordered, make sure that they're all there. Then I go over the supplies that they have gathered, make sure they're all there and may, I may give them feedback on, you know, what might be a better container for my supplies. And so then I will set up a tray or a bowl um, I call that a, a preset bowl for women who go really fast or, or mothers or parents who go really fast in their births. I basically take several things from their birth kit that they've ordered and the things that they've gathered and put it in one. And then I come in during their labor and fill in that tray or bowl or whatever it is with uh, my anti-hemorrhage meds and a Doppler and, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. And so that's part of preparing, but I also want to know, are we on the second level? Are we in the basement? If I need to transfer them out the front door, how many sets of stairs do I have? If we're on a gurney, how difficult is that going to be? <laughs> women in labor don't like to mm, move. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, if you knew that, <laughs> but a lot of women don't uh, want to. I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't want to move the way they don't want to move, which is valid. 
completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a transfer situation, it, it can become an issue. Um, so, you know, I want to have the logistics of the space already thought out. Um, so that in some cases I might say, you know what, if you're setting up a birth pool in this space, this is a space right next to it that we could use if we need to get you right out of the pool and on to, into a, a, a supine position or a lying down position that we could use the couch for this. So let's set up the couch with plastic and labor as well or whatever, you know? Mm. So we call that making up, making up the bed, making up the couch, um, and the logistics of where a birth pool might be and where we need to have supplies so that, in an emergent situation, which most aren't, I can easily transfer. I can easily call 911. I can easily, you know, uh, move them to next level care if necessary uh, without it being any more chaotic or traumatic than it needs to be. It needs to be easy and smooth for, for, their, for their sake. Um, so that's part of preparing for a home birth. And so these women, these families have their homes set up like that for weeks before possibly. No, no, not necessarily. All I require is that they have their supplies gathered and set up in a space. So like they might have it in the previous child's crib set up in their bedroom. They may have it in a couple of drawers in their bureau. They may have it in a box that they pull out from under the bed so that they can I see, reach I it see. quickly. Yeah. They can reach it quickly when they're in labor. They can make up their bed with um, protection for the mattress um, that kind of thing. They maybe some people put plastic on the floor. It kind of depends. Um, they can set up their pool, which I bring to them at that walkthrough visit, and then um, we communicate in labor as to as far as when they need to have their pool ready and when I should be on my way. Okay. Okay. Um, so no, they don't have to have their house set up like for the birth, but they need to have an idea of where they're going to birth where their children will be, if they're going to be in the home or whether they're going to be out of the home, uh, whether there are resting spaces for the birth workers, um, that kind of stuff. They need to have a plan. Yeah. I love this. This is more d- detailed information than I've ever heard on this particular way of of um, having a baby. So I love it. Um, <laughs> can you share with me a little bit about how your midwifery and then also the studio owner and then and then your pole dancing, how it all comes together for you. Kind of like what we were talking about in the beginning, but just a little deeper into how those two come together for you now. Initially, when I became a midwife, my business name is Empowered Birth Services. And that is because when I had my home birth and experienced a really empowering birth for myself when my first birth had not been so empowering. Becoming a mom was awesome sauce. I loved it. I couldn't wait to have another baby. However, doing so in such an empowering manner was like next level. So I named my business Empowered Birth Services in 2000 when I started practicing as a primary and midwife. I would say my family and my husband at that time especially said that I really came out of my shell, that I had really found myself, you know, that I had kind of come into myself. Being a busy midwife for many years and getting to a place in my late 30s where I needed to start focusing on my own health and my own self, you know, too much adrenaline, too much cortisol for years. (laughs) You know, I started changing my own personal habit habits, you know, change my diet, change, change a lot of things. I started doing yoga, I started lifting small weights, 
um, things I'd never done before. I hadn't really moved my body in 20 years, but to get in and out of my car for visits and squat at a berth on the side of a tub. So I started moving my body at home and then I started going to the gym and I started eating differently and I lost a lot of weight and was like, what? (laughs) And then I started feeling stronger and I was like, what is this? And a friend after many, many months of this, during this transition for myself or transformation of myself, she dragged me to a pole dancing class. I've never stopped pole dancing since that was, um, in early 2013. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're almost at your 10, you're almost at your 10 year anniversary. Almost. I'm at, I'm, well, I'm at eight and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. She drug me to pole dancing class and I was like, I'm a very, um, uncoordinated type person. I was not like a dancer as a child. My mom specifically would not put me in dance classes, you know, (laughs) like she was like, Oh no, darling, that's your sister. That's not you. (laughs) Just like, And so not having a movement background was a disservice in my opinion, you know, for me and going into movement at age 30, like late 38, early 39 was, um, a transformative experience as well. It was the second transformative experience or third after becoming a mom and becoming a midwife uh, after Mm. becoming a mom, having a home birth, you know, and then being in birth work, it was like this next coming out of my shell place of getting comfortable with my body being in touch and having body awareness, understanding that I knew my pelvis better than most of the women standing around me in class, Mm. that women are so disconnected specifically more than male identifying people or people with biological male parts. I'm not sure how the best ways to say that, but what I know is more of women from my midwifery work or people who identify as women are just typically disconnected from their lower half, whether that's their pelvis, whether that's their abdominals, whether that's their pelvic floor, whether that's their genitals, all of those Mm. things. (laughs) And you know, and and most women will listen to that and go, yeah. hmm, Yeah. Wow. That, that resonates in a way that I'd never thought about before, but I know this as a, as a birth worker, because I had worked with so many people who were, completely disconnected from their lower half and had to come into a a place of connection to be able to birth for themselves or came into a place of connection through birthing. Sensual movement and pole dance for me specifically, I found a connection with my lower half, maybe you could say, that I had not experienced in birthing naturally, that I had not experienced in as a birth worker, as a mom, as someone who had been a midwife for many, many years, but I recognized it Mm. because I had helped other people. Right. I love it. So, so I found a love for sharing that pretty early and became an instructor within a few years, um, you know, and several years before I was a studio owner, um, that my cues in the birth world were very similar to my cues in pole dance tuck and tilt your pelvis. I say it every day, no matter whether I'm in midwifery, a midwifery visit with a client or I'm teaching a pole dance class. I love it. I love it. So, you know, and I'm also a certified yoga instructor. So some of that is coming, the wordage and the cueing is, was kind of 
that's my bridge between the worlds really is, is my yoga cueing. But um, yeah, so helping students find a confidence in their body movement, um, finding confidence in their own sensuality, maybe sexuality, maybe not. It depends on why they're there. You know, everybody has a different journey. People are coming into their birth experiences with specific personal experiences as, as to why they're there and what they want. You know, the same is true in a sensual movement studio or a pole dance studio or anyone doing aerial for that matter, although I do find sensual movement to be more applicable um, to, to this particular point of finding a connection to the rest of your body, finding a confidence in it. There's one thing to find confidence and strength. That's a whole thing. That's a whole mm-hmm. thing which is amazing and wonderful. And I want everyone to experience that in their lifetime. Right. But there's also finding connection through confidence and sensuality because we all are sensual beings. Some people keep it on the inside and some people wear it on the outside. It doesn't matter. Sure. But you know, we provide a safe space for people to find that and develop that in, in my studio, which is empowered flow studio. Candice, I feel like you're a warrior and we need more of people like you. I feel like I feel like there's too much of the same in my life. I know a bunch of hot chicks who have been dancing since there were three. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Who are like, ah. Oh. After my 20-year dance career, this is me, right? This is what my story is. You know, it's not, (laughs) it's great and everything, but it's hard maybe for people out there to, you know, resonate with that because your story is a lot more, even though it's, to me, it's like out of this world that you've been catching babies and, and, you know, doing all this for 20 years and you own a studio and you live out in an area that I... It's, you know, it's totally bizarre to me, even though I'm <laughs> from the Midwest. Yeah. You know, so even though your your life is so different from mine, I feel like it's more understandable and it's more comparable to women out there than mine is. Well, I don't know about that. To be that, honest. But- <laughs> well, you know, just the fact that you found it later in life. Yeah. Yeah, I think I can. Yeah, I think I can relate. I think I can relate. I'm, I'm not a slender, tall, athletic, fit person. I am a, you know, pear shaped, middle aged woman <laughs> going through perimenopause. <laughs> um, so I definitely relate to my students in a completely different way. And as a new pole student, and even as an experienced pole student, I can spot a bullshitter instructor a mile away. <laughs> I love that. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. when I say a bullshit instructor, what I mean is someone, an instructor who can only cue and relate to someone with a body like theirs, with a, with a movement background like theirs. And most instructors and not all, and, and thank goodness it's, we're becoming more diverse, but most instructors become instructors because they've excelled in the area of what they want to instruct. (laughs) And so typically they've excelled because they, it has come easy to them or over a long period of time, they've developed the skills and the body necessary to execute 
and be successful. They may have been competitively successful. They may be visually successful. They may have an Instagram following. Whatever it is, they're typically not a large-bodied, middle-aged woman. Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of women out there who are trying to relate to people who are not like them. And, you know, that can be pretty challenging. So I love that, you know, you and I had never spoken before this, but man, let's, I I really want to be your friend. You're like the coolest. (laughs) You're like the coolest. And we have children who are very different ages, but we're not that different age wise. I'm, I'm, I'm 44. Like I had a kid when I was 41, you know, so I just waited. I I waited a long time. You're a warrior. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, I, I have hopefully a bunch of new besties from doing this podcast. I'm so grateful to be in a position where I can get people to talk to me about their stories. It's like the coolest job. It's the coolest job ever Yeah, because your story is incredible. Yeah. It's cool. Super cool. Yeah. And thank you for being here. I think a lot of the women out there across the world will be like, man, this woman's a warrior and I really relate to her story. And I think it's such a valuable story to have out there on blast. So I hope Uh that people will tune in and listen and, and learn. Thank you so much to Candace for being with us today. If you go to my show notes, I have a free training cheat sheet for you there. You'll just put in your email address and it'll come straight to your inbox. Thank you so much to Asa Watkins for music and post-production. And if you would honor me with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts, it really helps others find this podcast easier. Thanks so much for being here. You've been listening to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. Why is my, my brain is recent really, really bad. <laughs> it's because I have a one and a half year old. Right. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> So I've been like recording and then put posting, recording and posting. I'm just not ahead. One day I'll be ahead. (laughs) Do what you can do. Like you you can, as I learned, I was also a La Leche League leader. As I learned in La Leche League, two two very important things. One being you can do everything that you want to do, but you can't do them all at the same time. You know what? I, I'm struggling <laughs> with that this year big time because I'm trying to like, I'm like, I want to do all these things. And man, there's not enough time in the day with the toddler. So yeah, no, yeah. there isn't. You <laughs> have, you, and someday that toddler will be grown and you won't be thinking what you didn't achieve while that toddler was yeah. a toddler. You'll be thinking about how much time, quality time you gave that to- toddler because it really is in a lot of ways, the most important job. It is. And she's like, we're like at the hip. We're, you know, we do everything together. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's the most amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That There is nothing more important coming from someone whose children are grown. I can't get that time back. I was a busy midwife during a lot of that time and I sacrificed a lot. I was gone on birthdays, you know. I can't get it back. Mm, so yeah. cherish it because it's precious. Um, and you'll have time to do the other things that you want to do.